Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Terrifying moments at a school in Texas after a gunman opened fire. Hamilton's COVID vaccination mandate could spell bad news for some residents. How bad is the great resignation going to be? Find out why Canada's intelligence community says the trucker's convoy was a big wake-up call. More changes are likely on the way for Canada's military. And Time Magazine's list of most influential people includes a Canadian actor. The GMH Podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton Podcast on 900 CHML. Yes, another deadly school shooting in the U.S. Flaring up, firing up, if you will, the gun control debate in America. Again, as you probably know by now, an 18-year-old gunman opened fire at an elementary school in Texas yesterday. At least 19 children in that school for grades 2, 3, and 4, as well as two adults dead. The uh, alleged shooter also killed by police. U.S. President Joe Biden last night calling for new restrictions on firearms, saying that after years of failure to pass new laws, it's long past time for America to act. As a nation, we have to ask, when in God's name are we going to stand up to the gun lobby? When in God's name we do what we all know in our gut needs to be done? It's time for those who obstruct or delay or block the common sense gun laws. We need to let you know that we will not forget. We can do so much more. We have to do more. These kinds of mass shootings never happen with the kind of frequency that happen in America. Why? Why are we willing to live with this carnage? Why do we keep letting this happen? Where in God's name is our backbone? Have the courage to deal with it and stand up to the lobbies. Uh, Golden State Warriors head coach Steve Kerr also addressed the media yesterday afternoon after practice as his team was getting ready for last night's uh, playoff game. And uh, you know what? He didn't hold anything back. He was absolutely on point. I'm not going to talk about basketball. Nothing's uh, happened with our team in the last six hours. We're going to start the same way tonight. Um, any basketball questions uh, don't matter. Um, since we left shoot-around, 14 children were killed 400 miles from here, and a, and a teacher. And in the last 10 days, we've had elderly black people killed in a supermarket in Buffalo. We've had Asian churchgoers killed in Southern California, and now we have children murdered at school. When are we going to do something? I'm tired. I'm, I'm so tired of getting up here and offering condolences to, to the devastated families that are out there. I'm so tired of the, excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm tired of the moments of silence. Enough. There's 50 senators right now who refuse to vote on H.R. 8 which is a background check rule that the House passed a couple of years ago. It's been sitting there for two years. And there's a reason they won't vote on it, to hold on to power. So I ask you, Mitch McConnell, I ask all of you senators who refuse to do anything about the violence and school shootings and supermarket shootings, I ask you, are you going to put your own desire for power ahead of the lives of our children and our elderly and our churchgoers? Because that's what it looks like. It's what we do every week. So 
I'm fed up. I've had enough. We're going to play the game tonight. But I want every person here, every person listening to this, to think about your own child or grandchild or mother or father or sister or brother. How would you feel if this happened to you today? We can't get numb to this. We can't sit here and just read about it and go, well, let's have a moment of silence. Yeah, go Dubs, you know. Come on, Mavs, let's go. That's what we're going to do. We're going to go play a basketball game. And, and 50 senators in Washington are going to hold us hostage. Do you realize that 90% of Americans, regardless of political party, want background check, universal background check? 90% of us, we are being held hostage by 50 senators in Washington who refuse to even put it to a vote, despite what we, the American people, want. They won't vote on it because they want to hold on to their own power. It's pathetic. I've had enough. Uh, one man's view and uh, shared by many in the U.S., that is for sure. Since the Columbine High School massacre, remember that, in 1999? Since then, there have been 320 school shootings in the U.S. That's about 14 a year, resulting in the deaths of 163 kids, educators, and others. Yeah, background checks will help. Stricter gun control measures will help. It won't solve the problem. It's the gun mentality in the U.S. The disturbed notion of advanced power with a weapon in your hand, to me, is mind-boggling. Uh, but they'll continue to fight the fight, and we'll continue to have these occurrences, because I don't see it stopping anytime soon. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. I think the city's doing a big mistake, and the mistake is, that they're not looking at the bigger picture. That is the voice of Hamilton Councillor Esther Pauls warning about the pending termination of up to 440 city employees over their vaccination status. Uh, a protest being planned outside Hamilton City Hall this morning as those employees face termination over their vax status. Um, municipal workers who are not in compliance with the city's policy expected to be or at least scheduled to be fired as early as June the 1st. Some people, including our next guest, say it's going to cause a lot of pain for a lot of residents. Eric Tuck is the president of ATU Local 107, representing HSR employees. Eric, good morning. How are you? morning, Rick. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. You, I wish it was under better circumstances. Yeah, <laughs> you and me both. You called this issue, uh, quote, a very irresponsible decision. If the city goes through with it, how is the HSR going to be impacted? Yes, yeah, so uh, Rick, as you know, we've worked very hard throughout this pandemic to uh, keep our service and maintain standards on the road. Uh, city Council's decision could ultimately cause unnecessary disruptions to our service. Um, we have 102 members currently uh, that could be terminated on June 1st. Uh, about 60 of those are operators. We've got 8 or 10 that are service line people and another 8 or 10 that are uh, skilled trades. As you know, skilled trades are very difficult to uh, secure these days. Uh, we're having trouble attracting uh, applicants, both in operators and, uh, and in the skilled trades. So this is very concerning to me. What kind of disruptions are you predicting? Just um, bus delays? Well, no buses on the roads? Missed miss service. Uh, you know, buses not being where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be there. The reality is, you know, in transit, reliability is number one. Uh, if somebody's relying on that bus to get to work, to get to school, to get to wherever they're going, their medical appointments, they want that bus there and they want it there on time. Uh, and if there's a bus missing, it does cause a disruption. 
with that many operators, we're we're uh, managing to get by every day. We're fighting because of the you know people who do go off with COVID. Uh, we do have uh, absences as a result, just like every other workplace, and we're barely managing now to cover every service that you know every bus out there. Uh, if you have a couple of buses missing, that is going to be a disruption to service. You mentioned minutes ago that the HSR is already battling a labor shortage. If you lose another, I don't know, 100 employees, how crippling could that be? Well, it could be very crippling when you, when you think about the fact that, you know, it takes about six weeks to train, hire and train an operator. Uh, so we can't just replace them overnight. This is going to have an effect on service. Are other workers being told that they may have to pick up the slack? So, so we've been relied on many times, as you know, uh, in the press, we've talked about overtime uh, for operators working 50, 60 hours a week. We're not prepared to do that. We've been doing that for two years now. We're just like every other frontline worker. We're exhausted, we're tired, and we're certainly not going to pick up the slack for a lousy uh, decision made by council. This was a wrong decision. It's going to cost the taxpayers, could cost the taxpayers millions and millions of dollars. Most uh, unvaccinated employees in the city have been taking COVID tests twice a week for, for a few months now. Is that an option that uh, the members are willing to live with if, if they can do that instead of being fired? So we have been doing that all along. The fact of the matter is, you know, I think it's irrelevant to do testing nowadays with the, the new strains of, of Omicron. The reality is, whether you're vaccinated or not, and I've been vaccinated three times, I've caught COVID. Uh, my wife's been vaccinated three times. She's been she's caught COVID. Uh, I, I don't think it matters if you're vaccinated or not. There, you have just as much potential to bring that into the workplace as, as if you're unvaxxed. Eric, appreciate the time. Uh, we'll be uh, following this uh, protest outside City Hall, and we'll connect sometime down the road. Very good. Thanks, Rick. I appreciate the time. Thank you. That is Eric Tuck, president of the Amalgamated Transit Union Local 107, representing HSR employees. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It's one of the largest ever surveys of the global workforce. It was conducted by PwC, PricewaterhouseCoopers, in 44 countries and territories. And of the 52,000 workers surveyed, one in five, so 20%, plan to look for a new employer within the next 12 months. Yes, the Great Resignation is going to continue to have an impact on Canada's labor market and the economy. Ian Lee is our guest, associate professor with the Sprott School of Business at Carleton University. 20% say they're likely to switch to a new employer in the next 12 months. The word, I don't know, upheaval comes to mind. How is this going to impact Canada's labor market? Um, well, the, uh, the reason I'm, I'm sort of hesitating is there's so many variables here. First off, there is already a labor shortage, almost a million job vacancies in our country. This long predates COVID. Uh, there are, I see some people saying it's all because of COVID. That is absolute nonsense. The baby boom collapsed in 1965. We went from a woman of childbearing age having over four children, like my mother did. She was spot on the national average. Uh, it collapsed in 1965 and going forward, and it's down, It's today it's about 1.4 which for some people say, how is that possible? Well, some women don't have any children and uh, some have three and some have two and some have one. And the, it averages out at 1.4. Break even is two. In other words, uh, two replacements for the two parents. So 
we are already yes we're bringing in immigration and we and, I, and most people and i certainly strongly support immigration but it's not going to solve all our problems and stats canada has shown that empirically so we are looking at labor shortages job shortages as far as the eye can see long after we've completely forgotten about covid what that means is is that labor workers are going to have a lot more bargaining power i'm not talking unions i mean the individual person has bargaining power because of course as this survey showed you don't like your job and you've got five people knocking on your door headhunters if you're a skilled worker uh trying to recruit you you've got alternatives you've got choices <laughs> you know it's like being a superstar in the nfl guess what everybody wants to hire patrick mahomes or tom brady and and so what that means is 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 that there's probably the churn rate which is the turnover rate the slang term for turnover rate is probably going to increase in the years ahead the survey also found that 35 percent of employees plan to ask their employer for more money in the next 12 months is there a correlation there because i would guess throughout the pandemic many companies have suffered and there may be don't have a, a, a line item in their budget to say, hey, here's some more money, and that will force the employer or the employee part of me to say, all right, I'm going to go look for something else. You're absolutely right again. Uh, um, in fact, um, this was forecast by a, an 80-year-old professor <laughs> retired at London School of Economics called Charles Goodhart. And uh, in the book he wrote only two, three years ago, maybe four years ago, was called The Great Demographic Reversal. And he argued for the last 30 years, we had too many workers around the world, partly because there were just so many boomers because of the, the explosion of the birth rate in the 50s, partly because of the collapse of the Soviet Union and all those workers joined because of globalization, joined the global economy. And China entered the global economy in 1992. And, and sorry, the fourth variable, of course, is women in that period of time. The participation rate of women went through the roof. So he, Professor Goodhart, is arguing all of these, these four variables, three, four variables, they're non-repeatable. There's not going to be another China joining the world economy. There's not going to be another collapse of, of hundreds of millions of people in the Soviet Union joining the world economy. Women's participation rate, the female participation rate, is approaching male participation rate. So that's not going to happen again. And the birth rate has collapsed. So he argues that what's going to happen, not only is there going to be shortages of jobs, that, that, that the shortages of workers, that's kind of obvious. You can see that. But he argues that the wage um, suppression that occurred for the last uh, 30, 40 years and the rising inequality which was basically because there were too many workers chasing too few jobs, which drove down wages. He argues that's coming to an end. And what we're going to see, and I'm, he's not talking for one or two years. He's talking for the next 30 or 40 years. He argues that we're going to see wage rates increase across the economies of the Western countries, Canada, US, UK, Europe, because companies are going to be rating each other to uh, because they're desperate for workers we already saw walmart excuse me um amazon announcing a very very significant increase in their base rate of salary and they said they're doing it because they need to recruit workers uh, walmart in the states desperate for truckers they're now running ads saying we'll pay you a hundred thousand dollars a year to drive an 18-wheel truck so this is just an indicator of things to come. So wages are going to go up. I tell my own students, the great news for you 
is for your lifetime, you're going to be, you know, recruited by all kinds of organizations. They're going to want to hire you. You're going to make fabulous wages. I said, that's the good news. The bad news is you're going to be paying taxes through the wazoo, <laughs> up through your ears. Why? To look after the millions of people like Ian Lee, the boomers, who, when they get older, guess what? They consume gargantuan amounts of health care. So you younger people listening, great news. You're going to have fabulous opportunities, lots and lots of salary, but you're going to be paying much higher taxes. I guess we'll call it the new circle of life. Ian, we'll have to leave it there. Always appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Rick. Thank you. That's Ian Lee, Associate Professor in the Sprott School of Business at Carleton University. Uh, Two other items from this report. The top three uh, main motivators for making a job change. 71% want a fulfilling job. 69% want to be truly themselves at work. And uh, money being that main motivator at 66%. Uh, So there you go. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. When are we going to do something? I'm tired. I'm I'm so tired of getting up here and offering condolences to devastated families that are out there. I'm so tired of the, excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm tired of the moments of silence. Enough. Well said, Golden State Warriors head coach Steve Kerr yesterday responding to the latest deadly shooting in the U.S. at a school in that community. More on that coming up at 8.10 this morning. Meantime, uh, there's a report out from the intelligence community here in Canada that suggests our country should rethink its relationship with America. Thomas Juno is an associate professor of public and international affairs and faculty of social science at University of Ottawa, one of the co-directors of the task force that has uh, put together this report, and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Professor Juno, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. This uh, task force has uh, put together a report that says the United States is and will remain our closest ally, but it could also become a source of threat and instability. How so? So the, the, the point of the report overall is not just to focus on the U.S., but generally speaking to make the point that there are a growing number of threats to the security of Canada and that we need to be more serious collectively to address these threats. One of these threats, as you say, but not the only one, is what's going on in the U.S. And, and there are a number of trends in the U.S. that are of, of serious and growing concern to Canada. One of them is democratic backsliding. Uh, we've seen it already. It's not a theoretical possibility. It's real uh, of, of a number of politicians in the U.S. Uh, dismissing, ignoring uh, democratic norms, walking back voting rights, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. From the Canadian perspective, that has serious implications. Another worry that is related to that one but still distinct is uh, American foreign policy. What if Trump wins again in 2024? What if Trump doesn't run but another Republican that looks like him uh, runs? What if that individual wins and then, uh, you know, for the next four years tries to withdraw the U.S. from NATO, for example, tries to have an increasingly unilateral, uh, aggressive foreign policy? That also has serious implications for our foreign policy. And the thing is that Five years ago, these scenarios would have been far-fetched. They would have been, you know, maybe even science fiction, but now they're real. These are real possibilities, and what we're trying to do in the report is not to do scaremongering, but to raise these possibilities and, and tell the government in particular, but everybody else, we need to think about these issues. And in saying that, uh, the report says the federal government should begin to think or rethink how it approaches national security. So where should we begin on that front? 
So the, the most important big first step that, that we strongly recommend is a national security strategy. That sounds pretty basic, uh, but the federal government has not published a national security strategy for 18 years now. The last one was in 2004. Back then, it was heavily focused on terrorism. It was right after uh, you know the attacks of 9-11. A lot has changed since then. The pandemic, uh, the rise of China, the war in Ukraine, the rise of right-wing extremism, a whole bunch of other things, everything going on in the U.S., So what we're strongly suggesting is that the government should take six months, 12 months, and dive into the really difficult exercise. And it is difficult. We're not naive about that, to build a new national security strategy, engage Canadians in doing it, be public about it, communicate with Canadians, explain to the population what the threat is, and then on that basis, actually have a plan. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Thomas Juno, an associate professor of uh, public and international affairs in the Faculty of Social Science at University of Ottawa. We're talking about a report that shows that uh, Canada should be rethinking how it approaches national security and how its relationship with the U.S. should be rethought as well. Another suggestion is that Canada is, and you kind of alluded to this, uh, ill-prepared to deal with um, Chinese and Russian espionage, cyber attacks. Did we as a country just bury our head in the sand over the last two decades? I think we did. Uh, that's a bit harsh to, to say it as burying our heads in the sand, because that would, might suggest that we didn't do anything. That would not be accurate. We have been doing things, but not enough. And, and I think that the image is not completely inaccurate, because by and large, especially since the end of the Cold War, so that's 30 years ago, we've been living in a pretty safe environment in North America. We're very lucky, we're blessed to live, you know, we're surrounded by oceans, surrounded by the U.S., which so far has been overall uh, very beneficial to us. So we have come to be complacent, uh, to neglect issues of national security. And what we're trying to do with this report is to to emphasize that this is changing. Uh, It's not the end of the world. We are not uh, trying to be apocalyptic. But still, we have to be hard-nosed, we have to be realistic that the rise of China, uh, growing Russian aggressiveness, uh, what we mentioned about the U.S., right-wing extremism here at home, and a range of other threats, uh, we need to take these issues more seriously. How big of a wake-up call was the truckers' convoy? Because that really fueled the fire, especially in the U.S. Uh, the wake-up, the, the, the truckers' convoy was a wake-up call in the sense that it, it brought these issues uh, to the public eye. Uh, but for people who've been following this stuff, we had seen this coming. Uh, we knew that there was, you know, right there beneath the surface, a, a bubbling scene of right-wing extremism in the country. Uh, keeping in mind, and this is a point that does, uh, it is important to emphasize, a lot of the people who were protesting in Ottawa and elsewhere in the country earlier this year, it was legitimate protest. They were not extremists. Uh, they were, you know, fully within their rights to protest against government health measures or anything else. But there was a small minority among those protesters who can absolutely be labeled as extremists, as right-wing extremists. Uh, and, and what happened earlier this year should be seen as a warning that incidents like this will happen again, uh, and it is quite possible that next time there might be more violence. And one of the lessons learned, uh, we think, in the report from what happened was how unprepared the government was uh, to deal with, uh, with something like this. And one of the key areas, not the only one, but where the government was unprepared was in working with provinces and municipalities. When something like this happens, it's not only federal government agencies that deal with this, it's provincial police, it's municipal police, it's civil society, it's a range of other actors. And you need to get all of these people together at a table to talk, to share information, to share intelligence, and we're not very good at that. We only have about a minute to discuss this, but now that this task force report is out, what happens now? 
Uh, well, now our, our goal with the report is to bring these issues to the public, to try to stimulate more public discussion. Uh, we've talked about the report a lot in the media since yesterday. We've briefed government officials at the political and bureaucratic level uh, for the past week, and we, we intend to continue doing that. Uh, the task force members included former deputy ministers, former heads of CSIS, former senior ambassadors. Uh, so our hope is to use our, our networks uh, to, to try to continue uh, discussing and pushing these issues. Professor Juno, thank you for your time today and great job on this report. Thank you. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Canada's Defence Minister, any day now we hear, is expected to make a report public, a final report public, on how best to address the military's sexual misconduct crisis. We know that this has been going on for years. It exploded over the last couple of years and the Canadian forces continues to be and rightfully so under heavy scrutiny for what many have said is a a crisis an endemic of abuses of power sexism racism uh, sexual misconduct within its ranks top to bottom and so former Supreme Court Justice Luis Arbor was tasked to compile this report to address this crisis to find a way to solve it is this an equation that has an answer to it well let's ask our next guest charlotte duval antoine canadian global affairs institute who joins us now on good morning hamilton good morning charlotte how are you good morning rick i'm good how are you Uh, i'm good so the the arbor report was presented to defense minister anita anand i think it was last friday and she has until may 30th to release the report to the public should we see it any day now? Is this just a matter of uh, when, if not uh, you know, before May 30th? Yeah, it's a question about when, um, and and it's complicated. Like There are going to be a lot of factors um, pertaining to when the minister is going to release it. I'm expected uh, for the Department of National Defense to take the, ten, the full 10 days for the simple reason that... Uh, Usually what they do is that they go through the report, kind of assess what preliminarily, what kind of recommendations they want to prioritize and stuff like that, so that as soon as it becomes public, they have a response to what they're going to do moving forward. And as we know, the Department of National Defense right now is extremely busy with the conflict in Ukraine, and so taking the full 10 days will give them the leeway to really respond to offer a good preliminary response to the report. So the report was tasked with providing recommendations on how the military should set up an independent system for reporting sexual misconduct. How do you think this system is going to work? So so the report was asked to do much more than that, but yes, this is part of it because it came uh, forward uh, during the Deschamps report, that that first recommendation for an independent body. Uh, myself, I'm more towards um, enhancing the, the Ombudsman's office uh, because you already have a structure in place with trained staff. Now you just need to expand it and give it more independence uh, so that it can actually deal with those types of issues. But the Department of National Defense and the Arbor Report may have a different understanding of what it should look like. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Charlotte duval Antoine from the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. We're talking about uh, any day now uh, being able to see this uh, new report into the military sexual misconduct crisis. 
do you think it's going to alleviate what um, what is being called uh, uh, widespread racism, misconduct, discrimination that is repulsing new recruits? Do you think this is going to alleviate concerns of prospective recruits, those who are thinking about entering the uh, Canadian Armed Forces? I think that what's more important with the report is not the report itself, even though it's going to provide good information, because as DND presented it, it's going to be uh, a comprehensive review. But I think that what's more important is how the department and the military are going to respond to it and how are they going to implement uh, recommendations. And I think that this is the process after the report comes out and um like the process of implementation of the recommendations that's going to be more important in terms of alleviating the problems concerned and and kind of um, address the recruitment crisis that the military is facing right now. It's pretty clear that the culture within the Canadian military has to change. There's going to be a lot of heavy lifting to do. That's It's going to take a lot of work, a lot of time. When do you think we will see some change? Will we see any change? So it depends on what kind of change you're looking at. If it if it is in terms of policies, we are starting to see changes because the the military and the Department of National Defense are implementing uh, new policies. Now the problem is monitoring what effect those policies are going to have. It's the in the medium term, and then in the longer term, you will see uh, a change of culture, and and that will. For us outsiders, it's going to come into, we will see uh, frequent reports of racism, discrimination, uh, sexual misconduct at the same scale as we have seen it since, you know, like during the 1990s, around 2015 and, and around 2020. Will we have another series of scandals, um, let's say five years from now? So we have, unfortunately, we have to be patient, but culture change, if it's done properly, if it's pursued with zeal shouldn't take over 30 years to be implemented. I agree with that, Charlotte. We're out of time. I thank you for your time today and enjoy the rest of your day. You as well. Thanks so much for having me. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, this is something really cool. Time Magazine is out with its annual list of most influential people, this time, of course, of 2022. And lo and behold, there is a Canadian on this list. Canadian actor Simu Liu is on the list in the artist category, or the actors, for lack of a better term. And here to discuss it is Chris Jan Solovitz, National Online Supervisor in Entertainment with Global News. Chris, good morning. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning. This is pretty neat for Simu Liu. I mean, he seems to be a rising superstar. I know, my God. Even, uh, you know, like two years ago, I'd be like, who is this guy? <laughs> um, you know, he was just a, a guy on Kim's Convenience. <laughs> you know, so you're like, hmm. Uh, and now he's everywhere. I turn on the TV, he's on commercials. I, you know, I turn on the movie, he's in it. Um, so it's, uh, it's really quite amazing. And now, you know, like I said, He's now featured in Time's Most Influential. Pretty great. It's unbelievable. Yeah, he's you know a Marvel superhero. He's hosting the Junos. Uh, he has risen to stardom and and quickly so. And just another you know uh, kind of morsel of the talent that we have on this side of the border. I know, and I, I love it. I love it. I love that he is just everywhere. Uh, you know, he has this real uh, underdoggy quality. 
Uh, I know that's not a word, but you know he is very uh, underdoggy. Mm-hmm. You know, initially he was, uh, you know, in so many interviews he's revealed that he had a lot of trouble um, making it, quote unquote. Uh, you know, often he was um, passed over for big roles, um, and then something just switched. You know, he 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 tells his story about growing up and and how it was hard for him. You know, he had ideas about you know as a Chinese Canadian he wanted to do this and that, and then he just hit all these barriers. Um, but you know he managed to surpass it, and uh, in a funny way, in a an endearing way, and I think that's a, a big reason why we see him on this list. It, it really has a likable story as well. You know, your typical humble Canadian kid who has just found his place. Yeah, and it's just so heartwarming, and everyone loves that kind of story, right? And I think you know it helps that he's a good-looking dude. You know, it helps he does these flips all the time. <laughs> he has, you know, he does these great flips uh, just out of nowhere, almost in in every interview, uh, unless he's wearing a tux, of course. But, uh, you know, he does all these cute, fun things, and he's just such a, he seems like such a fun-loving, down-to-earth guy, and I think that really adds to his appeal, um, both here and south of the border. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Chris Stansellowitz, National Online Supervisor Entertainment with Global News. We're talking about Time Magazine's Most Influential People of 2022, and Canadian actor Simu Liu is on the list. With every uh, inductee, so to speak, there is uh, a little snippet of information from uh, a fellow athlete or actor, musician. Um, Simu Liu uh, was written, or, or the description about him was written by another fellow Canadian acting star and that's sandra oh who calls simu the first real canadian chinese acting superstar would you agree i would i would put her in that boat yeah you know uh i think they're both astounding people and they both really made waves sandra's been uh in the business for a long time so um yeah that's a really great person to do the uh the intro for him or the introduction to him yeah he has absolutely taken a path that i can't say that i can think of another chinese canadian aside from sandra oh who's even gotten to this level mm-hmm. um he he's just yeah he's just astounding like the marvel star um i don't think there's ever been a chinese canadian that's for sure um leading uh, something as big as shang chi uh so yeah i mean what a fantastic achievement and really, really great to see Simu succeeding. And, you know, we're just going to be seeing more and more of him in the future, too, I'm sure. He, he is one of 15 artists or actors on that portion of the list. It's kind of broken down into different categories. Others in the artist category include uh, Pete Davidson, Channing Tatum, Mila Kunis, Sarah Jessica Parker. Those are pretty heavy hitters. Yeah, those are massive. We're talking A-list. We're talking people who have been famous for decades. Uh, you know, someone like Sarah Jessica Parker. I mean, my God, she's been around for, you know, at least 20, 30 years at this point. So Simu's in great company. Uh, and again, like I said, I, I would expect nothing but great things for him, especially in the next few years. So we should be seeing uh, a, a meteoric rise even more uh, as he stars in more and more things. Apart from the uh, artist or actor category, there's also uh, different categories like icons, pioneers, leaders, and innovators. And in the innovator category is Josh Wardle, the creator of Wordle. How cool is that he's on this list? You know, and, and it, it is awesome. I, I love stories where it's just this person who has this idea and they create this thing and it becomes worldwide uh, famous uh, across across the world. And uh, yeah, like I will say that I still play Wordle. So, <laughs> I so do I. <laughs> What's like, as, mu- as much as people are like, I'm over that now. And I'm like, well, I, I still play it. It's like this weird habit. I can't not. I can't stop playing. Two questions for you. Have you ever gotten it on the first try? And what's your longest streak? 
Oh, um, I think I just hit, weirdly enough, uh, yesterday I hit 100. Oh, wow. Uh, what ended up happening was I switched phones, and then I lost my streak, and I got very upset. Um, <laughs> and I will say to your first question, which was, have I ever gotten on the first try? No on Wordle, but I'd play something else called Quirtle, which is actually four words at the same time, so it's actually way more challenging. Wow. Um, but I did get one just by fluke, uh, one of the four at one point. So, wow. yeah, I have that claim to fame, but no one's ever heard of Quirtle. So like, it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> I've, n- I've never, yeah, I've never gotten it on the first try. My longest streak, embarrassingly, I hate to admit is 37. So you're doing much better than I am. Oh, did you get, uh, did you get, uh, flummoxed by a certain, certain word, I guess? Uh, there have been several along the way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, we'll leave it at that. Uh, Thanks for joining us today, and enjoy the rest of your day. No problem. You too. Big thanks to Chris Jan Selovitz, National Online Supervisor Entertainment, with Global News reflecting on Time Magazine's latest list of its most influential people. Uh, This, of course, of 2022, and Canadian actor Simu Liu is on the list. And a fellow actor, uh, Sandra Oh, wrote the description on why Simu deserves this accolade. And uh, in part, she writes that Simu's been working hard to get through closed doors, and now he wants to hold those doors open for others. You see him doing that through the way he speaks out against hateful violence, his openness about his own experiences of isolation and discrimination, his personal choices, he's our superhero. There are some other categories in the most influential people of 2022 list from Time Magazine. I mentioned the innovators that included Josh Wardle and Miranda Lambert and Zendaya. In the Titans category, you can't get bigger than Oprah and Tim Cook, who's the CEO of Apple. I mean, two literal Titans in the um, on the planet, in the leaders category, Vladimir Zelensky, yes, big check mark in the Ukrainian president, Joe Biden, president of the U.S., Russian president Vladimir Putin on this list as well, as well as American political commentator Joe Rogan in the leaders list. Yeah, I guess for some uh, in the icons list, Mary J. Blige, Keanu Reeves, another Canadian, Adele. Peng Shui, the Chinese tennis player. And in the Pioneers category, Facebook whistleblower Francis Haugen leads that category. Some pretty fascinated stuff. Check it out on uh, Time or in Time Magazine or uh, uh, online at time.com. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode and make sure you rate and review.